From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you, strengthen you, encourage your heart. Uh, give us faith, Lord. Increase our faith in the name of Jesus as we go forward one day at a time as we are here for such a time as this. Our mission does not change as Bible-believing and applying Christians. Um, a lot of good things we're going to talk about today. Did I say a lot? I meant to say a lot. <laughs> Just like when you say 11, sometimes you say 11. Uh-huh. 9, 10, 11. Uh, but it is 11. All right, so we're going to talk about why evangelical Christians are predominantly conservative if, if, if they know God's Word and believe the Bible and apply its principles regarding the biblical worldview. And I put a big if in there because things have changed in the church, as you know. And uh, we're going to talk about that. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about uh, elections uh, judicial activism, hostility against churches, and uh, weaponized DOJ and FBI. Um, we'll talk about some pro-life issues that are near and dear to our hearts and our guests today. And we may even talk a little bit about Bidenomics. I got an article here on what's happening in the tech industry, which is, you don't hear about that. We don't, we don't you know, the media chooses selectively not to talk about all the layoffs and uh, the rising prices and stuff like that. Whoa, we're not in a recession. We're not in, there's no inflation. Okay. Okay. Do you believe the media? I don't think so either. No. I, I don't either. No. Okay. So let's bring in our guest, Mary. Good morning. Good morning. As, as you're battling your allergies here, yeah, whatever this is, battling you, yeah. whatever this is. Yeah. It's <laughs> a combo plate. I think it's just a combo of post-conference, you know, still stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah. I'm going to claim that for at least you're another still week. Recuperating. Yes, I all am. right. Uh, by the way, they they are. They, I believe they have all the sessions up on the media page. Yeah, at, probably. Yeah. For the and that, that's a lot earlier than the last fall. It depends. It a just depends on what's going on. I Go mean, Thomas. Yeah. yeah. And and Thomas and the tech team at Calvary yes. Chapel in yeah. Appleton. Wow. Yeah. So if you guys want to go there, ccappleton.org, yeah. Go to the prophecy conference page or the media page. You can watch any of the sessions there. Um, you know, T. A. McMahon, Chris Quintana, Jeff Solwald, and. And myself and Tommy Ice and who am I missing? Um, I think oh Rob Yardley. Yes, Robert. amazing. See, I, I won't test you anymore, Mayor. Okay. All right. <laughs> so our guest today, we're thankful to have back with us Robert Meyer of Renew America. He's known uh, through his columns to expose the fallacies of knee-jerk arg- arguments about politics, religion, and just life in general. And uh, he's obviously comes from a biblically and a, a conservative worldview, and that's why we love talking to him and talking about politics. Uh-oh, politics. What does that mean? We're going to talk about affairs of the city, politics, affairs of the city, government, um, a worldview, political issues, meaning moral, social. <laughs> These issues, very important issues we're talking about. But Robert, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth, brother. Hey, welcome this morning, Dave and Mary. I'm wondering if I can have just a minute to uh, to talk a little bit about Mary. Uh, this is the first time 
uh, I've been on the program with her as a co-host. Oh, my goodness, yes. Go and, ahead. Uh, well, I'd like to say, first of all, that uh, indirectly, Mary is uh, you know, partially responsible for why I am a guest on this program. And I'll give you just a bit wow. of background on it. <laughs> uh, it was 2010, and uh, it was the issue of uh, Jim Wallace being invited to Life Fest. And on the... Uh, Show Crosstalk, Mary was a guest with host Ingrid Schleter. I remember And that. I was really impressed that uh, they sent somebody, a church sent somebody to talk about that issue. So I said uh, to my wife at the time, I think this is a church that we should be going to. And uh, we did go there. Wow. And uh, about a month later, there was a flyer in the bulletin that was advertising a seminar in Green Bay uh, on community organizing and so forth. And my wife and I went to that, and there was a gentleman uh, in front of us, and I said, Sir, can you tell me if this is the proper door to go in for the seminar? And he said, Yeah, it's this way. And I, I saw Mike on his sleeve of, of his shirt, and I said, Are you Mike LeMay? And he said, Yes. And so I introduced myself, and a couple of weeks later, then he, uh, he came to a citizens group Christian Citizens Group uh, in Appleton, mm -hmm. and after the meeting, I came up to him and I said I would be interested in uh, being on your program when you started up, and I gave him, you know, the link to my writing so he could look and see if, you know, that would be apropos, mm. and that's how I wound up uh, being a guest on this program. Wow, thanks for sharing that, that's Robert. A great I did not know all of that. Yeah, that's yeah. a great story. Awesome. And for our newer listeners, by the way, um, we that was a catalyst. That 2010, the year that the uh, communists in Wisconsin tried to recall Scott Walker and, and hijacked the state capitol in Madison. But that was the year, because of Jim Wallace coming to a major Christian entertainment and music festival, that was the year that Stand Up For The Truth podcast was birthed. And, Robert, we need to go back a little bit now since you brought it up. Uh, who is Jim Wallace? I, I don't think a lot of our listeners know um, who he is and why would we have uh, such a problem with him having the main stage and not in a debate format, but just to have a platform right before the headlining band, I think it was Newsboys, at that time in, what, 13 years ago? Right. Yes, yeah, Jim Wallace has had a long history of being involved with uh, organizations that kind of have a witch's brew of, of Christian terminology with socialist policies. And, uh, you know, he's very much associated with the, the red letter Christian movement and sojourners and that, and that type of, uh, thing. And, uh, a lot of people, I think, when he came to Life Fest had no idea really what his background was. And uh, people who studied it obviously took uh, issue with it. Yeah, and I remember when I found out, someone approached me at church and said, guess who the keynote is at Life Fest this year? And I said, who? And she said, Jim Wallace. And I just, everything sort of stopped for me at a second because I couldn't imagine why this person should figure in any kind of presentation to our youth. I, I, I just, I think something switched off or on in my brain, I don't know which, but I just I could not understand that. So, of course, that made us want to look into him further and, you know, let people know why this was such yeah. a shocker. And I think, uh, Robert, um, we want to move on with our topics today, but this is important because we're always getting new listeners, and even in the last couple months, people missed one of our first podcasts, Mary, together talking about why Stand Up For The Truth. 
and we talked about what birthed this. The cat. We talked about that him coming to town and the, this this progressive versus conservative uh, this battle and the the doctrines and what what they believe. Social justice activism, how they hijacked the God's justice, true justice from a biblical viewpoint, and they just put social in front of it. And what does that mean? So we had to talk about all that. So we did that. You can guys can look back at past podcasts if you want a, a more of a thorough explanation, but. Robert Meyer, just a couple of the principles. Why were we, as Christian conservatives who believe the Bible, the whole counsel of God, and want to live according to the biblical worldview, uh, why were we con- so concerned at that time that this radical leftist, who some might call a wolf in sheep's clothing, o- others might call a heretic, why would we be concerned with this political uh, representative of the Democrat Party? And by I believe he was... Um, um, Barack Obama's spiritual advisor right. at the time. Why would we be concerned that he would come to a Christian festival and speak on the main stage? What are some of the issues? And you can just kind of bullet point them if you'd like. Well, I think your, your primary issue is going to be that there is a lot of impressionable youth there. Mm-hmm. And we already have a situation where in, in the public education system in that we see a lot of uh, new ideas coming in, and of course, in that sort of system, we've, you got them 35 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think, you know, with Wallace coming there, it just adds to that sort of thing. Um, I think, too, and, and I get into this in my article, that there, with this type of movement, this red-letter movement and so forth, there's a conflation between uh, what the government does and what the individual believer ought to do. In other words, people think, um, for example, that the government uh, creating a health care program is Christian or something like that. Compassionate, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They don't, uh, you know, the actual understanding, for example, of, of church and state is to understand that each sphere, the church and the government, has separate duties in uh, separate dur- jurisdictions. And uh, I can remember uh, specifically uh, a debate at Wheaton College uh, between, uh, I think it was uh, uh, it was uh, Tony Campolo and another oh, gentleman, uh, where the other gentleman who was a Christian asked uh, Campolo, he said, do you see any distinction between the mandates between the church and the state? And he said, no. So... I think you have that type of thing going on with the movement Wallace is involved in. And uh, a lot of people don't make that distinction uh, to our detriment. Okay, I'm not going to be as kind. Um, Wallace is pro-choice. He's pro-LGBTQ homosexuality, pro-transgenderism. He's pro-socialism. He was a member of the Students for the Democrat Society. Uh, he was arrested, I don't know, over a dozen times or approximately th- through the 60s and 70s as a protester. He was a radical. He was a radical. He was a social justice activist, and he's a Christian leftist. I don't even know if I don't even like putting the word Christian in front of that. So he's a leftist. Mayor, do you want, have anything to add before we move on? Well, I think, too. Because you wrote extensively about Yeah, and I him. think having someone like that, I mean, and what we've seen of this sort of thing in the church is it takes the purpose of the church. I mean, who are the gatekeepers of the church anyway? It takes the purpose of the church, which is spreading the gospel and 
and overarches something else or superimposes something else on top of that number one purpose is to make disciples and to, to bring the gospel to people. So now you have an entirely different focus, and it turns out to be liberal politics. It turns out mm-hmm. to be progressivism, which has only gotten worse. Okay, so Robert Meyer, before we dive into this, why most, at least, we can say evangelical Christians are predominantly conservative, um, there is this issue that they throw in our faces when we, conservative, Bible-believing Christians, want to influence our community, influence our culture. Influence is a big word. That means letting your light shine. That means being the salt of your community, salt preserving and flavoring with, with righteousness and truth. We as Christians are called to do that. We're not called to bury our faith or our heads in the sand or hide our light under a bushel. So they throw up separation of church and state in our faces when we're trying to do that. But they can do whatever they want. They can talk in churches. They can you know promote any policy as radical environmentalism, abortion, you name it. And we you know they don't answer to that separation of church and state. Your quick thoughts, Robert, before we move on. Yeah, exactly. There's a complete double standard on that, or some people might say there's a hierarchy today where (laughs) their ideas are okay, but, you know, ours aren't. And the thing again is, you know, you'll get the, uh, you'll get the astute Christian who will, you know, comment on that separation of church and state, uh, you know, accusation by saying, well, it doesn't appear in the Constitution. Yeah, but well, that's just the starting point of it. The, the real problem is that the concept itself of separation in church and state has been distorted. Uh, it, remo- it, has, it was originally designed to be a functional separation, as I stated earlier, where the church had certain duties within society, and the state had certain duties and jurisdictions. And what they made it into is an ideological separation of church and state, whereby uh, no ideas, no biblical precepts are allowed to influence public policy. Hmm. And, of course, even if we go back to the founders, even those who we you know, weren't necessarily evangelical Christians, they all would have been abhorred by that idea. So just want a few quotes before we move on. Abraham Kuyper once said, in the total expanse of human life, there is not a single square inch of which the Christ, who alone is sovereign, does not declare, that is mine. In other words, we live for Christ in every area of our lives should be, should reflect our biblical worldview, and that includes election day. So, Robert, let's go through your article. Why are so many evangel- evangelical Christians politically conservative. I know a lot of it comes down to doctrine and teachings from the Bible, but let's let's walk through this, please. Well, you know, in my article, I point out that a century ago, uh, William Jennings Bryan was a big figurehead of uh, the evangelical movement. Now, if you want, if you if you want to understand who Bryant was, he was the guy in the Scopes Monkey Trial who yeah. came to testify on behalf of uh, Christians, of, you know, Bible-believing Christians. Now, Brian had been the uh, Democratic representative for president three times in a row um, in uh, the early part of the uh, 20th century. So I what I point out is that there has been uh, a complete juxtaposition mm-hmm. where Democrats 
at one time that party was more squarely in the camp of evangelical Christians, but over time they became far more secularized. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, in my mind, culminating, and, and I don't know how many people remember this, but at the 2012 Democratic National Convention, there was a voice vote taken about removing God from the platform, and yes. there was mm-hmm. a lot of cheering and things like that. Uh, in some of the uh, figureheads within the party, along with Barack Obama, nixed that idea because they knew that would be a public relations disaster. So, Robert, let's go back a minute. Uh, how long ago are we talking 75 years, 50 to 75 years, when uh, Democrats were then more um, moderate, libertarian, or even conservative well, think of it this way. Um, people will point, I suppose, to different watershed times yeah, in history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe in the 1968 convention with the uh, the Chicago 7. For me, I think it, was, it came uh, in the Carter administration because a lot of people voted for uh, mm-hmm. Jimmy Carter. He was the first president that I recall say, saying, I, you know, I'm a born-again Christian. Um, he was his sister was Ruth Carter Stapleton, a Christian evangelist. And so a lot of, I think, born-again Christians who weren't very politically or culturally savvy yes. uh, kind of went Carter's way. I mean, we were uh, in the uh, in the shadows of Watergate, and of course, uh, Gerald Ford was running but on the Republican side, but was, you know, nominated by Nixon, so that may have jaundiced his uh, candidacy mm-hmm. somewhat as well. Um, so, yeah, that's where I would put it. I think you were too kind in saying uh, in your article um, that Carter moved further to the left. I think that's very, very, that's an understatement. Mary, your thoughts on this? You know, this is funny because I was saying before the show that the, uh, the podcast is that I, that was my first election that I was 18, I was able to vote Wait in. Wait a minute. Did you vote for Carter? No, I did not. Oh, good. You, yes. So you knew, but, but you did your research. Well, I did, but I also, <laughs> get this, I did not know what a born-again Christian was. I was not raised okay. in a universe okay. that explained that. Mm. I didn't find out what that was until 1980. Okay. I never heard that before, so it didn't factor in. But this leads to me to my question, because you open this article by saying, why are so many evangelical Christians politically conservative? A good question, not a hard one to answer. I myself have been accused of my of coloring my theology with my political perspectives, but I was a Christian long before I had a fully formed political ideology. Yes. And I, I meet a lot of people who are a little older in life. I know a lot who uh, were not believers. They grew up in a Democrat household or a Republican household. I grew up in a Republican household. That's the way it was, so I would have voted for Ford anyway whether I had done any research or not. Hmm. So I guess, you know, Robert, how, do, how does that work in people? Because, I, like I said, I meet believers who are lifelong Democrats, and maybe they haven't thought it through. What's the importance of actually now stopping and, and maybe rebooting a little bit and thinking through what, how you were raised and reexamining it in the light of the Bible and Christian theology? Yeah, really uh, important question there. Yes. And I was about to say that, you know, a lot of people, for example, grew up, uh, say, in union households right. or something like that. And, you know, of course, uh, if you belong to a labor union or something, the leaders of the organization are only going to give you advice on the basis of your vocation. But you know, mm-hmm. that really limits a person to the extent that Everything about their character has nothing more to do than other than their job. 
And I think where you have to uh, consider things carefully is you have to look at your your moral perspectives. Uh, you have to look at your uh, you, you know you know your belief in Christianity and so forth, and look at the platform itself and come to the conclusions of which platform you think more closely resembles a biblical worldview. Um, and getting back to what we were just talking about a moment ago about, uh, you know, what was, what was the turning point here when, when all this started changing, uh, one interesting thing is if you go back to the Kennedy administration, mm. uh, President Kennedy uh, nominated for Supreme Court Justice Byron White. Now, Byron White was the guy who, in the abortion decision, Roe v.ersus Wade in 1973, said that they just invented uh, a right out of thin air. So, I mean, consider that. You know, today you'd never see anything like that uh, from a Democratic president voting a justice who would come to that conclusion. Well, I'm going to quote you, Robert Meyer, in your article at RenewAmerica.com. You say the fundamental, this is, um, by the way, a Democrat, President Harry Truman, that uh, said the fundamental basis of this nation's laws was given to Moses on the mount. If we don't have a proper fundamental moral background, we will finally end up with a totalitarian government which does not believe in rights for anybody except the state, end quote, and then you add, no Democrat candidate would say such things today. Why? Uh, because I think that, it, you know, since the 1960s, uh, the Democrat Party has moved towards socialism and secularism. Yes. And, and um, you know, that's just, you can just see that if you observe uh, the conventions, the policies that they tend to uphold, the various constituencies that they cater to, uh, all those things tell you that they have moved in that direction. So we are talking right now around the 1960s, and that was President Kennedy, who you say seemed to follow in the same line of thinking as uh, Harry Truman. And then there was a change. Uh, Lyndon Johnson came to power. Uh, you, we, we can talk about the Johnson Amendment because we've both written extensively about that, Robert Meyer. Uh, that's just a travesty, and this, it's still on the books today. Too many pastors are influenced by that, and it doesn't even really affect them the way they think it does. But let's go back to the 1960s. Um, here, Lyndon Johnson comes on the scene and talks boasting about eradicating poverty and mm -hmm. helping blacks in the inner cities. And all he did was balloon the federal government with these gargantuan programs, and the bureaucracy grew. Did it help those people in the inner cities? Nobody really goes back and looks at that. You know, Jesus said, I mean, they we're talking about an individual level when it comes to their faith. You will know them by their fruit. We've talked about Jim Wallace. We've talked about Tony Campolo. We've talked about Jimmy Carter. Now, we're looking at a president who said he was going to do something to help the people. And we bought it. And not we, but, I mean, the, the, our parents and grandparents. Talk about the late 60s and what happened then and, and why this was allowed to continue to just grow without um, restraint or accountability, it seems. Yeah, exactly. Um you know, I think a lot of this, too, goes back to the, the idea of the social gospel. And uh, we were placed 
the idea of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ with the idea of we were going to, uh, you know, make the government sort of in charge of uh, yep. fulfilling the Beatitudes in a way. Yes. And, um, you know, we looked, into the, we looked in the wrong place, in my <laughs> estimation, in a lot of ways, because we thought uh, that we were going to be able to perfect uh, mankind. And, and that's really a humanist mm-hmm. idea when it comes right down to it. Yes. And uh, I just want to throw out a quote by John Adams uh, in 1798 regarding the Constitution. He said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Avarice, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. Yes. Uh, See, and the point here is that without the internal restraint inside, it does no good to have a Constitution because if it is wielded by people who don't have that internal restraint, you're just going to wind up where the Constitution is used as as a bludgeon against goodness rather than, uh, than providing for it. Yeah, and you know, I want to go back just a minute here on uh, Lyndon Johnson, Mm -hmm. the author of The Welfare State. I mean, and look at how socialized we are since then. Uh, It was the beginning of something altogether different. Can we infer then that there was no such welfare state before that? I mean, what did people do? They had a different work ethic. They had a different approach to work and life and family. Everything was different, clearly, if there was no such thing as a welfare state before then. So now we're finding that society, the fruit, obviously, mm-hmm. the devil's in the details, the fruit of all that is where we are now. Incredible inflation, you know, yep. um, people just wanting a handout, uh, all that sort of thing. So is it true, Robert? I mean, was there anything in place for people before that, or did we just have such a phenomenally different culture? Well, if, if you go back, I think one time I quoted... Um something from Grover Cleveland in uh, 1887 about uh, there was a bill before Congress in helping farmers who were stricken by a drought. Hmm. And Cleveland said that uh, the government has no authority to provide charity. However, he knew because of the character of the people and what was already happening that they would provide for the needs of those people who were damaged by that. And I think there was... um, before the say before the great depression anyway there was an idea that you were responsible for your neighbor you were responsible mm-hmm. responsible for your extended family uh your church organization uh, looked after your needs and there was a lot more uh, of that of volunteerism in an obligation a moral obligation by people to help those in need but there's one other thing uh from the from the demand side, I would say, is that people were expected, um, you know, and we can go back to Paul's statement in the gospel of how if a man will not work, then neither should he eat. Mm-hmm. There was the, the Christian idea was that an able-bodied person should do all he can for himself, and then what charity came was over and above what he could not do. We didn't have this idea, well, it's easier for me just to be a ward of the state and to sit back and do nothing instead of finding a job, so I'm just going to choose that lifestyle. 
And, and unfortunately, that's what happened. Uh, I think some people were victimized um, by the left and the progressive Democrats who, in, in the welfare state that got that going under the Johnson administration, they took advantage of people who were sincerely hurting financially, economically, impoverished, and they were in these inner cities, and, and the minority community, black community, were the ones that were suffering, and they took advantage of them by saying, hey, we'll give you a handout. And, of course, they were desperate. They took Sure, they took the government money, but what has that led to? They've got such a, I think it's like 70% uh, fatherlessness in the, the black home today. Don't quote me on that. I think it's in the 70s. It was really high, and single mothers and the abortion uh, amount, are, they're off the charts, the abortion numbers for the black community, uh, over, over two to one in New York City for one. But anyway, there's a lot of residual from that that just is not good. But what you said in your article, Robert Meyer, and we just got a minute, uh, you said the astute Christian must ask the important question to Jesus' edict, uh, edict, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's, by asking what exactly belongs to Caesar or the government. And uh, we can talk about that when we, when we come back because you answer that question and talk about what belongs to the government. And we can talk about what belongs to God. That's what Jesus was talking about. So, Christian, what belongs to you under God, our rights, our our faith, our what belongs to God, what belongs to government? And then Jesus said, all right, give, give that to Caesar. So let's talk about that. Get your perspective, Robert, when we come back. Also, we're going to quote a founding father, uh, a couple of them. Actually, I've got a quote from Noah Webster. We are going to then transition to uh, what happened in Wisconsin when the liberals took hold of the Supreme Court and hostility against churches and pro-life pregnancy centers increasing, and that won't make the headlines of most news outlets. Why? More with Robert Meyer of Renew America when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpWithTheTruth.com. In 1832, the great Noah Webster, who believed Christianity and government could not and should not be separated, he said this, The religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles, which enjoins humility, piety, and benevolence, which acknowledges in every person a brother or sister, and a citizen with equal rights. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitutions of government. And that's just one of the many, 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 that was Noah Webster. There are so many quotes you can look up, and yet, Robert Meyer, we still have people say, yeah, but they weren't all Christians, or they didn't believe in whatever the, the God of the Bible, or they didn't want to enforce that, or they didn't want... And you're going, over 90% of the documents, founding documents, outside of what we know, their letters and their notes are, they quote God, they mention the biblical worldview without saying, yes, I'm an evangelical Christian. But yet still, people have rewritten history today to really help this confusion that, that's today about what should be allowed in the public square and in our government, Right. Yeah, absolutely true. Um, I, uh, in doing my own research, I find that uh, a lot of these secularists who come along and say, you know, what they do about church and state and various other topics, uh, they're very, <laughs> they're cherry picking a few things and really taking them out of context. Um, 
The fact that not every founder was necessarily a born-again Christian does not detract from the idea that there was a predominant idea that uh, if you kicked God out of the influence of government, you were going to wind up with chaos. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so back to the article now that that you wrote, we're kind of going through here and picking out some of the bullet points, um, to the secularist, Everything belongs to Caesar because there is no God. So we've got to kind of try to take our our biblical lens off and look through their eyes and how they see the world with no God, with no faith, with no true religion, and really the coexist mentality, anything goes, my truth might not be your truth. So they, of course, believe everything belongs to government then because there is no God. Government is God. That's really what you were uh, saying here, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. And, of course, um, then they'll say that individuals are incapable uh, of meeting the needs of people. You know, other mm-hmm. voluntary organizations, the church, other people are incapable, so therefore it's got to be left to the government, and thus you get a, a, a government with not with enumerated powers, but with an unlimited uh, amount of authority and whatever authority they can exercise for the good, of course, they can exercise for the bad mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert, um, you go on in the article and you start talking about legislation and uh, moral responsibility, and uh, you mention a, a quote, um, an unjust law is no law at all. But how do you determine whether a law is just, and God is just, or whether a law is unjust? Well, that was that was the case with uh, Martin Luther King uh, in his uh, Martin Luther King Jr. when he was jailed in the Birmingham uh, jail uh, for his protests, and he was appealing to uh, what Augustine and Aquinas had said before him, mm-hmm. and he said that any law that does, uh, you know, a just law is a man-made law that squares with the eternal law or the law of God. And uh, unjust law is a man-made law that does not square with that. And so that was his uh, argument for why he was advocating as he was. And as you say, Aquinas um, said an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. And, uh, you know, with, with all the debate going on today, it's really amazing that they have pulled us so far over to humanism, progressivism, secularism, and, uh, gosh, and they've really put Christians uh, in, in a corner. They've really framed Christians as the radicals that, that want to influence our society for Christ. Well, of course we do, and I don't think any Christian would deny that, um, but yet we feel like we've got to be on the defense because anything goes on their side, they're allowed. I mean, look at the public school system, particularly since the early 1960s, when you've removed God's law. You've taken God and prayer, the Bible, out. Look at what's in the hallways. We have pictures. We see the articles. I get letters, emails, and you've probably heard from people, too, with children in the schools. Look at – I saw a couple pictures I just printed out yesterday. I saw two different schools, either the hallways or in the classroom. There was a pride flag. There was a Black Lives Matter flag, and there was something to do with socialism. You could not see an American flag anywhere. This is in the hallway or in the classroom. Robert Meyer, go ahead and and share your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that's just amazing. And and you know, 
uh, with all these types of influences, if nothing else, even by osmosis, <laughs> children are going to absorb this. Yes. Um, and what you were saying uh, just a bit ago uh, in regards to how they're painting Christians into a corner, uh, and it's militants and stuff, you notice this particularly whenever there's some kind of incident of violence. They want to probe to see if some guy ever even opened a Bible while he was in a hotel room, uh, a Gideon's Bible in a hotel room. But if it turns out that the perpetrator of some violence does not fall within the parameters of their narrative, you notice how quickly the story uh, is hushed up That's and you right. don't hear anything about the background of the individual. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one more thing, and I want to let Mary chime in here, to, and we'll wrap up your article, Your this one here on the um, the fact that most evangelical Christians are predominantly conservative, and there's a reason. It's doctrine, it's biblical worldview. But let's go... Let's jump ahead now all the way to 2021, Robert Meyer. And in late February, um, the radical so-called Equality Act was being debated in Congress. I know you, you're probably very familiar with that. We've heard uh, what they're going to do you know, to, to try to ram this down America's throats. Um, and it would discriminate against Christians, by the way. So Florida Republican Greg Stubbe warned that the passing of the bill would go against Scripture. And I, I first I say kudos to him. Um, he said... Transgender individuals are implying that God didn't know what he was doing when he created mankind. And he, here's what he said, and then I'm going to sh- let you hear a response from Democrat Jerry Nadler. Greg Stubbe uh, said, The gender confusion that exists in our culture today is a clear rejection of God's good design. Whenever a nation's laws no longer reflect the standards of God, that nation is in rebellion against him, and will inevitably bear the consequences. We are seeing the consequences of rejecting God here in our country today. This was in 2021 on the House floor. So now Democrat Jerry Nadler responded, and keep in mind, friends, this was in the U.S. House of Representatives. Nadler represents the Democrat constituency. He said this, Mr. Stubbe, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is no concern of this Congress. Robert Meyer, um, I often ask this question, what would our great-grandparents think about this kind of exchange by our political leaders? They would be completely appalled by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you think about it. If, if, if that's true, that it's of no concern in the Congress, there has to be, you know, there's no vacuum here. There has to be some moral standard or some philosophical standard uh, by which we're coming to conclusions about uh, what laws we ought to pass, what advocacy we ought to do. Uh, we should demand to know, well, what is then that standard and what makes it authoritative? Mm. Mary, did you have a question? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still stuck on... Uh, on, on page, uh, first part of this, you were saying, uh, and I know we've talked about this just briefly, so I just want to add something to this. Um, the astute Christian must ask the important follow-up question to Jesus' edict, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, render unto God what is God's, by asking what exactly belongs to Caesar. And then mm-hmm. you say, to the secularist or statist, everything belongs to Caesar because either there is no God or God is not relevant, even if he does exist. Therefore, the state becomes omnipotent. And as I'm listening to you guys and I'm reading this, um, 
obviously this article says that people do give their all to Caesar. And so in making the government their idol, um, you know, this is idolatry. This is their God. They are making a spiritual decision Mm. in the same way that we have all made a spiritual decision. But they have to come to the end of themselves. Uh, And I guess what I'm thinking here is uh, in line with uh, Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. And that is definitely a fact. But do you think about when we get to this point uh, in government and we're seeing this good, bad, good, bad um, thing and we're just debating this, do people get maybe possibly drawn more to the Lord when we are uh, groaning or we are under um, a yoke of, of tyranny versus morality. Um, how does this work in God's economy? If we pull back the camera just a, just a little bit or go maybe up 20,000 feet, if we're in this situation, and we certainly are, and we're in the end times, how is this, how can we rejoice? In other words, will these people come to the end of themselves? They've got the wrong God. They've got mm-hmm. the wrong idol. How, uh, maybe, possibly, these are the times that are bad that draw people to Jesus. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that that's true, that, you know, when people have a personal crisis, when they are at the end of the rope, that's when they'll look outside of themselves. Um, I don't, in some cases, unfortunately, I don't think people have gotten to that point yet. Right, right, um, yeah. And you wonder how, how much further things right. have to go. That's what before, I'm thinking. Yeah, you know. Uh, go ahead, finish up, Robert. Go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, I, I, I just don't know how much... Uh, more things have to go, how much further they have to go where people will wake up. But I think then again, too, when uh, you've got a government that will come in and help uh, people uh, in difficult times, like when we went through the COVID crisis, a lot of people were laid off and that type of thing. They give them just enough assistance Mm -hmm. where they don't completely crash and have to uh, look at things from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So, Robert, you wrap up the article, and, you know, toward the end, you say it's important not to conflate the behaviors of individual politicians with the political platform they supposedly represent. I mean, that works on both sides, obviously, both sides of the aisle. But yet, the platforms themselves, that says a lot as far as what they believe, what policy they will implement, what laws will be legislated, whether it's saving life in the womb or... Uh, murdering babies up until the point they're delivered right before, 90 seconds before or whatever, that, that's just brutal. That's child sacrifice. That's, that's part of a platform. That's part of a political, quote-unquote, platform in our country. And, and so I agree that there are some on both sides that may not represent fully the platform that uh, they stand on as far as the party. However, we were talking about before the podcast, we have seen the media make elections out to be about individuals and about personalities, ignoring the radical policies, ignoring the things that would go against a Bible-believing Christian's you know, viewpoint of what should be supported and what shouldn't be. And so we've got to come back to that at least, look at the, the policies, platforms, and procedures, and assume that not everybody's going to live by them, but how do, how do we vote, in other words? And we're, well, then we'll jump over to what happened in Wisconsin. Well, you know, the epitome of of everything you're describing there was uh, the presidential uh, winner in 2016, Donald Trump. I mean, a lot of uh, you could look at Trump's past and you could say that 
that wasn't a real good presidential uh, person in terms of character or innuendo or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yet, when you look at the platform that uh, Trump proposed and uh, the way he governed, there was a lot to like about it. And I think that a lot of Christians, a lot of conservatives were able to overlook some of those foib- personality foibles and, uh, you know, past indiscretions and vote for him because they felt that that was certainly by far the lesser of two evils. And uh, to add to that, as much as, you know, the media, you know, attacked the character of this individual, it's hard to say that. <laughs> that, uh, you know, the opposition or the opponents weren't just as bad had the media done as much to expose their past as mm. they did with Trump. Yeah, that was actually a disservice to the American people. There was so yeah. much they covered up regarding the Biden crime family, um, Hunter and uh, Biden's brother. Is it Jim? I don't remember his other brother, that they're all involved in money. They're all somehow connected with China. And there's just things that may never come to light, and I'm not holding my breath over any investigations or any headlines that say, oh, Hunter, Hunter Biden's being indicted. You know, big deal. That should, have been, that should have happened, you know, five years ago or whatever. But let's go to, does it matter, Robert Meyer, before we go to Wisconsin, does it matter? Because Biden's approval rating is apparently at the lowest in, in, in history. It's 36%. Um, that's pretty bad. But it doesn't matter. My view is the next election, 97.5, that's not scientific or, or polled, uh, research base, but 97.5% of Democrats will vote for whoever has a D behind their name. I don't care if it's a scarecrow. They'll vote for the D. And so it doesn't matter how awful Biden is doing. They're even talking about saying, well, he's not as popular even within his own party. Well, I agree. But, but Robert, it doesn't matter what come the next election. Am I wrong? You're exactly right about that. And I've seen that time and time again where, uh, you know, maybe a particular candidate crashes and burns or is unpopular, but yeah. then when the election comes around, uh, they hold their nose and vote or however they justify it. Well, they're not looking at the policies. They're, right. they're yeah. not looking, people, at how this will affect your children and grandchildren. You're not looking at what's happening in the public government-run schools with the transgender policy. I, we do stories on this all the time. They're, you're not looking at things like that. You're not looking at life in the womb, which is... The, the sanctity of human life, according to God's word, should be valued and protected and defended. But the policies of one party are not. So even though they're not approving uh, of Biden, they're going to vote for the next guy. So they're talking about a person. There, and again, they're not going to the policy or platform. Mayor, do you have any thoughts? Right. Well, and conservatives, too, I think, had very strong gut reactions to Hillary Clinton and, and uh, Obama. I mean, there's a point, I think, sometimes... When they come on the media, you turn the channel. So there's a very strong uh, reaction, I think, to personalities in general because yeah. we're people. But yeah. what they did to Trump, um, you know, did the Trump derangement syndrome, that that was just so incredibly over the top. I, st- I still can't quite figure that yeah, out. Yeah, it's, it's actually a disservice to even their profession of so-called journalism. Right. Uh, uh, Robert Meyer, so what happened in Wisconsin we saw some of the TV ads that were against Dan Kelly for Wisconsin Supreme Court. I couldn't believe the lies. They yeah. were getting away with it, and they were framing him as this, this uh, woman-hating, child-hating, radical criminal that hates, doesn't want to give women, wants to send women back to the 1800s. And they, just they, the stuff they were saying about him, and they got away with it because George mm-hmm. Soros and others uh, other Democrat money from outside of Wisconsin came in. They threw that into the state, into these campaigns. But 
what happened? Why do you think we got the results that we did, meaning the, the liberals have taken control of the Wisconsin Supreme Court? And what's going to happen from this point on? Yeah, I think, you know, a number of things happened here. Uh, they're just, well, among other things, there just was not enough conservative uh, vote showing up for the elections because uh, they went back and looked at um, the the uh, amount of votes that, for example, Senator Ron Johnson got, and they found out that the deficit between the Republican vote and the Democratic vote, in both cases there were less voters, but there was far fewer conservative voters than there was liberal voters. So there was uh, an apathy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you said, the the lies people tend to believe. I mean, I, I completely tune out uh, of, you know, these TV commercials and that. They're such hyperbole and <laughs> they're nonsense, basically. Uh, but one thing that it did show is that people are still apparently concerned about, uh, you know, the issue of child molestation and that, because that apparently hasn't been redeemed by wokeism yet. <laughs> well, it's on the way. A lot of things, even, yeah. the, even the military talk about wokeism. But so uh, this was in one state and this showed us a lot. I think you said there was a very poor showing um, and I'm not sure, Mayor, if we're ever going to get this right, if we're ever going to have a ground game like the left, the radical left, right. and they just you know vote for the Democrats, but let's just call it the left, the progressives, the secularists. They know how to campaign. They know how to community organize, don't they, Robert Meyer? But here, uh, I'm not sure think we're going to be able to catch up to their game. Well, and I think, too, I think this factors in a little bit. I think conservatives are still a little gobsmacked about whether or not the elections will ever be fair again. Now, that's True. not an excuse. Yeah, that's not right. an excuse. But I yep. think as human beings, yeah. I think we tend to think, why bother? Again, that's not the right approach. Robert, what do you think about that? Because we know tens of millions of professing Christians do not vote in elections. And we know they're not fair all the time. We know there's cheating and there's fraud in every election off the charts in 2020. But it happens in every election but... Yet it shouldn't affect us, but it does. Your thoughts on that? Well, I think there was there was always a stigma with politics among people, uh, you know, Christians and so forth. Uh, you know, as an anecdote, uh, now th- think about this: uh, the late Jerry Falwell he, uh, even told his junior pastors at one point in time. Don't get involved in politics because it's such a dirty enterprise. Uh, and what changed everything for Falwell was the 1973 abortion decision. And then by the end of the 70s, the guy becomes, uh, you know, a leader of one of the biggest cultural movements in the country. Well, I think that sort of stigma about getting involved in politics as a dirty enterprise is still kind of lingering with people who have a lot of... Uh, uh, how should we say it, a high moral standard. Hmm. And so they tend to be then more apathetic when it comes to voting um, because they just say, you know, it's it's six of this and a half dozen of the other, or they're all liars or whatever. The lesser of two evils. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that, un- unfortunately, yeah, a lot of people make their assumptions, but then they should not have the audacity to complain yeah. <laughs> if they don't vote because... What what I think I think people are smart enough to understand policies and these legislators, whoever gets elected is going to impact your children, yeah, and your home, 
at whether it's your taxes, whether it's the school system, whether it's corporations or like look at the policies now. Some of these corporate they're coming out with anyway. I don't need to go down a rabbit trail here. But Robert, we're we're in a really interesting time with 2023. Um and there's another big election coming up next year. Uh, and give gives people a little bit of insight and some a little bit of hope on where we can go as far as getting people just to th- rethink this thing and understand that these politicians are affecting the morality of our culture. And you're speaking to Christians now. Well, I think what you have to realize is that yes, you're only one person, but collectively one. You know, one person, one person, one person wakes uh, is a majority. <laughs> and there's an old poem about how um, one man awake wakens another, and pretty soon he turns the whole town upside down. And I think you just have to have the conviction that uh, you can make a difference out there, uh, however you do it. I mean, you know, you might not have a, a big reach, you might not be on a program like this. You might not have the attention of media and uh, different outlets that can convey your message. But within your circle, you mm-hmm. certainly have the ability to uh, influence. Yes. And I think that's what you have to focus on, doing what you can. Uh, you know, bloom where you're planted. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Robert, I, I just want to end. You you've, you had a great story about you uh, talked to a, an, an ardent feminist who told you that your opinions on abortion were relevant because you don't have a uterus, and you said, "Okay, let's let's appeal to the let's let's talk about this now." And you you asked her if she was ever in combat or served in the armed forces because, given her logic, then her opinions were about wars were irrelevant because she never served. So that, I thought that was a great comeback. I think we just need to have these conversations with people and just get them away from the talking points and really bring them back to, especially if they are professing Christians, the Bible, what it says, what it teaches, and the biblical worldview. Yes, and also think about how you can um, affect your community locally. I mean, it, it's possible that a lot of the more national things maybe maybe make our heads explode or whatever, but there's always, when, when, you know, when, when we had the lockdowns and the masks and all that, and I saw what it was doing to the kids and I saw how the school board was reacting, that was a real reality check for me. Yep. And I tend to think more locally because now, if you are a believer and you're involved in some local things, people get to know you and you can influence people individually. And so we may feel helpless on a more national or state level, but there's no reason to be helpless locally if you want to get involved. Do it. Times have changed, haven't they, Robert? We used to write letters to the editor, and now we've got social media. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, well, that's just it. Even in my local paper, I used to submit a letter every month, and then that kind of, that editorial section kind of got put on the back burner and became less prominent. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, like you say, with social media, same thing. Um, When I first started with Renew America, I used to spend a lot of my Sunday afternoons uh, conversing with people who emailed me. A lot of high school and college students would look for advice and doing reports and things. I'd help them out, and then that that kind of went away uh, the minute we got to Facebook and uh, other uh, forms of social media. That's the, the way it is, friends. Hey, Robert, to be continued, great conversation, brother. Thank you so much. We'll look forward to your next column at RenewAmerica.com. God bless you. Okay, bye now. All right, tomorrow you will hear from T.A. McMahon. Also, Thursday, Wayne Allen Root. 
And on Friday, Mark and Amber Archer of Fearless Features. Their, re- their last one was Mind Polluters. They're working on a brand new one called Dysphoria. We'll talk to them on Friday. Uh, Mayor, great podcast. God bless you, friends. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.